Dustin Lamontang from Research Capital joins us. It's another episode. How are you doing? Hey, real good, Bren. How's yourself? How was your summer? It was very, very beautiful. I spent a lot of time on the back deck contemplating exactly how I'm doing in the markets. And that's why I love chatting with you because you kind of give me a level of clarity I just don't have. You also don't get emotional like me and many others. So it's uh, it's always fun chatting with you. Yeah, I tend to remain a little bit calm. It's uh, It's been a little bit uh, tenuous in the last, uh, you know, six weeks, two months, up and down, up and down. But, uh, you know, that's that's a market in the short term. It, it kind of functions like a casino a lot of the time. Right. It's, oh, yeah. It's uh, a lot of volatility. And of course, uh, our, our world right now is volatile as well. So, um, well, well let's, know. let's talk about that, because everything that's going on in the Middle East has got to be affecting the markets in some respect or in many respects. Yeah. And, you know, these, these macro events that happened that happen, uh, you know, consistently, um, I, I, I remember as a, as a kid, you know, probably seven or eight years old watching uh, the news all the time with my, my grandpa, um, back in Manitoba. And, uh, it, it seemed like, you know, back then in the mid eighties, all you heard about was, uh, Beirut and, uh, Lebanon and, and, you know, uh, Israel and the Palestinians. And, and here we are, you know, 40 years later and, or 30 years later, and it's, it's still going on. So the strife in the middle East is, is nothing new. Um, although obviously, uh, it's very tragic that, uh, you know, there's lives being lost on, on both sides, um, uh, of this conflict, but, uh, my, my job is kind of to disseminate information and see how it's going to impact, uh, not so much in the short term, but, you know, how, how are these events going to impact things in the long term? And uh, the, the most obvious sector which gets affected uh, when you have strife in the Middle East is the oil sector. Right. And yeah. that it tends to push uh, the price of oil up, which which tends to be uh, a net positive for Canada and, and especially for Alberta. Um, and, and of course, uh, that directly uh, imp- impacts the, the underlying stocks in that sector. So when you're talking about an increasing oil price, usually the the underlying equities will be doing uh, very well. And, and, and if you're talking about, you know, the pure producers like, uh, uh, you know, a Suncor or a Synovus uh, versus the transporters like uh, Enbridge or TransCanada Pipe or Pemina, um, usually there's a high positive correlation between the price of oil and those sectors. So it's it's likely going to be a fairly robust year in 2024, especially if this, um, you know, uh, war escalates. Um, and in particular, I'm thinking if uh, there's new sex, new sanctions on Iran for for, uh, you know, backstopping uh, Hamas. Right. So and, and that, that's very realistic. I think the U.S. is probably changing their tune on Iran as we speak. Um, so if you got new new sanctions, it would mean limited limiting uh, the the export of oil in an already tight market, I might add. So you could see oil shoot up fairly aggressively here if that happens, you know, 100, 110, 120 dollars a barrel. Who knows? It's a commodity in the short term, but um, I'm expecting fairly uh, positive uh, commodity pricing. Uh, you know, in the next uh, year, two years, uh, oil and and a host of other commodities as well. Um, but definitely, this Middle East uh, war 
between uh, Israel and Hamas will will definitely uh, be a positive catalyst for oil prices. I'd like to say I'm surprised, but frequently I am not by the price of oil. The thing that surprises me is how people say, well, that's it for oil. And we never see that to be the case because, you know, we dropped down there after having a monster surge about a year, year and a half ago. It dropped and now it's just on the increase again. It's just it's just it's always it's almost like it's the same old story, Dustin. Yeah, well, the thing about oil is it's, you know, as evil as it's made out to be, it's a necessity. You can't function the global economy. Uh, You can't uh, really uh, meet energy demand without oil and natural gas. So it's going to be around for a long time. And, uh, you know, oil and gas equivalent demands growing at around 1 to 1.5 million barrels a day. And it's going to continue to do so um, despite electric uh, electrification of the transport industries um d- despite uh you know windmills and solar panels the reason being is because as quickly as they bring out those technologies and and uh and they're good they're good for long-term uh you know he- health uh, of the atmosphere and so forth um as, as quickly as they bring out those technologies, the population grows. So when you're adding six people a month to the planet, it takes a lot of infrastructure and energy, uh, energy infrastructure to meet those demands. Uh, and it doesn't stop. It's month after month after month. So there's going to be 10 billion people, 10 to 10 to 11 billion people by 2050. And th- think about that, the, you know, another fresh two and a half to three billion mouths to feed and people that need energy um, and consumer goods, etc. people that are going to fly, take holidays. So um, I, I think that the, the estimates of 125 to 130 million barrels a day in 2050 are, are going to be bang on. I don't see demand dropping. Um, and that's, you know, they can, they can bring a, uh, bring out electric cars till the cows come home, but the, that's not going to stop people from needing to heat their homes and, uh, you know, fly planes, uh, create plastic, petrochemicals, the whole bit. So. Just read a story today that the, uh, the use of coal is increasing in China because it's inexpensive. And the one thing, it's easy for people in North America to say, well, we've got to go to renewables. They cannot afford renewables in China. Coal is cheaper, therefore the coal increase seems to be happening. Now I know things we could we you know talk about global instability, and as much as we're focusing on Middle East strife here, it's uh, people tend to forget that the things that we have to deal with is not really the average what the average person on the planet has to deal with. No, and you just look at, you know, your grocery basket, which is increasing in price in Canada. Um, you know, the cost of everything's going up, but Fortunately, we live in a country where, you know, based on our incomes, we we spend a small percentage of our overall income on groceries, the average Canadian. Um, contrast with that, that with, uh, you know, four, four, 4 billion out of the 8 billion people on, on the planet who spend, you know, probably a third of their income on just feeding themselves. So uh, there's a lot that goes into the global economy and, uh, you know, why is there instability right now? Well, people are having a tough time out there, right? Yeah. And, 
you, you can't make energy more expensive for people in these countries. Um, the, the reason so many people have uh, escaped, uh, you know, poverty and, and there's an emerging uh, middle class t- to the tune of about, you know, one and a half or two billion people in the last 30 years have joined the middle class worldwide is because of cheap, uh, cheap energy. Um, if you have cheap energy, it allows uh, an economy to uh, operate in a much more efficient manner. And uh, if an economy can get going, uh, you know, it provides jobs and that's what lifts people out of poverty. So, you know, what, what's going on right now in the, in the Middle East, while it's, uh, you know, going to, going to cause some instability, of course, in the short term, right. Uh, I don't see the the long term um, outlook for the economy as, as a negative. I, I think we're just going to keep having positive GDP, GDP growth. Um, th- that population growth that I'm talking about is is a positive for a lot of different sectors. Um, now, one one of the areas that the uh, the conflict in the Middle East could have an impact on is for precious metals. So ah, I've been okay. looking at, you know, right, right when this conflict happened, I think gold went up about $150 an ounce in, in, you know, three trading days. So I'm, I'm expecting a fairly robust, uh, you know, next six months in the, in the metals market, uh, especially for, for gold and, and silver. So uh, d- definitely looking at increasing exposure to those areas. Uh, and I'm not a, I'm not a doom and gloom or pessimistic person by nature. Um, so I, I do think that uh, we're, we're going to be in a decent market here. Uh, I think we're going to finish the year quite strongly. And I think 2024 is going to be quite strong as well. Um, you know, I guess we so. uh, we watch carefully as things start to uh, unravel a little bit further here. Uh, thanks for your time today. By the way, we're out, we're out of it. We uh, we nope. it's you know it's been a while since we've uh, chatted, and uh, there's so much to talk about. But uh, thanks for your time today. Hey, no problem, Brent. Good, good chatting with you again. And that's it for today. We'll have more helpful hints coming your way on our next episode. Don't forget, all opinions expressed are solely Dustin's and do not reflect those of Research Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Research Capital may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast. Thanks for listening to Making Sense. Have yourself a great day. This series is proudly produced by the team at Road 55. Road 55 creates content that connects. For more information, check our website, www.road55.ca.